love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't, overcome e- don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as always, as we consider uh, these words, we pray for insight and understanding into who you are and into who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, by now, if you've been with us here through January, this January or any January for the last six or seven years, you know that we like to take the month to talk about our community and to wrestle with what it means to be a a community. So it's become a tradition here in in the Avon Hope community to talk about our purpose in particular, why we exist as a community and what we're doing to be the kind of community that God invites us to be. And so uh, several weeks ago, we dialogued together wrestling with our purpose. Uh, Last week, Michelle introduced our new whole life initiative of groups and classes and other gatherings designed to help us explore and grow in faith together. And so we've spent a a good time this month, and we have a couple more weeks where we're going to be doing that, just wrestling what it means to be a church community. So if you're new with us today, just bear with us. We're talking, we're kind of burying our soul a little bit about, again, who we are, our highlights, but also those areas in which we can grow together. And so uh, we're looking forward to continuing that today by looking again at Romans 12. Romans 12 has really been a theme chapter for us over this month of January as we've reflected. And so today we're again looking at chapter, the last part of chapter 12. So just to recap, uh, Romans it was written by the Apostle Paul, the great communicators of the good news in the first century, and uh, who had traveled the Near Eastern world raising up churches. And so the the book of Romans is literally a letter to one of the churches instructing them how to live up to their purpose. And so we can take out of Romans for us, the city of Rome in the first century, not all that different than uh, New York or any metropolitan area today. And so we can take out of the book of Romans, of that letter Paul wrote to the Roman church, uh, things for our own experience today. And so we turn our attention now to verse Uh, 9 of chapter 12 of Romans. And here, Paul is clarifying what it means to love in community. It's not simply an emotion, rather it's rooted in action that's clearly identified by what he then describes love to, to be. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to each other 
in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is all an articulation of what it means to love in community. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor before the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. <laughs> the implication is that you're going to have times of affliction. There's, you have times when you're going to need hope. Uh, be joyful in those times. Be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. He goes on, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You're going to have those in your community who need to be taken care of. And we see this example, by the way, in Acts chapter 2 in the early Jerusalem church where people brought together as they had needs and brought together their, their things and were distributed to those who had needs. And so uh, Paul is reiterating now this to the Roman church. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We've had some mourning in our Advent Hope community over the last few weeks. We mourn together. That is the instruction of the Apostle Paul. We rejoice when others rejoice, when there are exciting things to share that are happening in the community. We rejoice together. We also mourn together. Don't be conceited. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And then don't repay anyone evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If somebody wrongs you, you don't repay them back with, with wrongdoing of your own. That's not how to live if you're going to live in a community in love. This is all Paul instructing us how to be the kind of community God is calling us to be. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. This uh, Now the instruction is shifting not just to the church community, but to the wider community. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be thoughtful about what our community thinks about us. Do right in the eyes of the community, not just to our own morality, our own ethics. We want to be thinking about our city and our neighborhood and, uh, and our, our larger sphere of influence. If it is possible, he goes on to say, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Love that. If it's possible, it's not always possible. Sometimes adversity is going to come up and you may get involved in that. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, if it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Don't stir up things unnecessarily. You are called to live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. God is the one who does avenging. In the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So earlier talked about hospitality and the community should take care of each other. Now Paul is going further and saying, your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So this is comprehensive. This idea of Christian love in the Christian community includes all people, even your enemy. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So Paul was instructing uh, the Roman church how to love, and those instructions are helpful for us too here in New York City or wherever you may be, even in the shadow of the Alps. How do we live in community? And how do we uh, love each other? And how do we love our, our community? And so it's a great passage, but this passage is incredibly challenging. In fact, it seems almost aggressively idealistic. Some Bible students have said it's just <laughs> so out there. It's too far for anybody to actually accomplish. And so it's, Paul's being hyperbolic. 
Of course, they said the very same thing about Jesus, who (laughs) Paul was mirroring in so many ways. Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, when he said things like, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, like, hey, look, it's easy to love those who love you, but what about those who irritate you and annoy you and maybe even persecute you? As, as followers of Jesus, we are called to love even those people. And so Paul was echoing what Jesus had already said. And so, yes, yeah, some Bible students said, say that this is hyperbolic. There's no way to live this way, but there is no indication that neither Paul or Jesus was trying to be hyperbolic. They were instructing the church how to live practically in communal love with each other. And so Paul is following Jesus' own example and promoting a radical kind of relationship between individuals and church communities with each other. We are to be rooted. If you embrace a relationship with Jesus, if you have confessed faith in him, we are to be rooted in love, not just for him, not just for ourselves, but for each other as human beings. And so this explains why Jesus says in John, everyone is going to know you by your love for each other when he was talking to his disciples. You as a community, you are going to be identified by your love for each other. Jesus said that because he had articulated what it means to have love, and Paul was doing the same in Romans 12, our text of emphasis today. Now, as I mentioned here in this month of January, we are reflecting not only on our own growth as individuals. We, we need to do that. We love to do that. We spend a lot of time week after week wrestling with the areas in which we need to grow and be transformed and changed. But in January in particular, we want to think about ourselves not just as individuals, but as a community. And so the question today is, why are uh, contemporary church communities not better at fostering the attitude and behavior that Paul instructs in Romans chapter 12. He's pretty clear. Like, if you're going to be a part of a church community, if you're going to be a church community, this is how you are to operate. You're to love your enemies. You're to feed those who are are working against you. You're not to be conceited about yourself and think that you know it all. Rather, we're to have a, a completely different attitude. And so why is it that church communities are actually uh, not better at actually fostering this. Now, we all love critiquing institutions. It's not, nothing more fun than talking about an institution and how it needs to get its act together and how it needs to be better. And I think therein lies the, the problem and the response to that question, uh, that we as believers aren't exactly clear on what the church is. And so we often like to refer to it as an institution. And so it's really easy to, again, critique an institution. Why isn't the church better at doing this? And why isn't the church better at doing that? And we forget the reality that we are the church as people, the church as people. The, the word in which the, uh, we get the term church, ecclesia, implies a congregation and group of people. So when we critique the church, we really need to be critiquing 
ourselves. And that's what we want to do today. That's what we're doing here in January. We want to be reflective on what the church is called to be and uh, how we can grow to be the kind of church we're called to be as a community. And by the way, just to acknowledge, because we have Sean and Edith, we talked to them and it was so, I knew you guys were models, by the way. It was just, it was obvious. I mean, there was no question in my mind. That was not, that was not a hidden gem. Sean and Edith, we all knew no surprise there. Um, anyway, where was that? Where were we going with? Oh, the church. The church is an, it's a, it's a new thing now. We're all over the place. We're not just located in one, in, in one place. We're not certainly here at 111 East 87th Street. And this is another part of the, in, in the, the issue. Again, we as believers aren't exactly clear on what the church is. We either think of it as an institution or we think of it as a, uh, an address a piece of real estate somewhere. How many times I'm going to church, right? And we think that church exists at a certain time and a certain place. And that's just not the Christian idea of church. When Paul and Jesus are talking about the church, when Jesus established the church, he didn't establish it as a piece of real estate. He certainly didn't establish it as an institution. The church is a community of people, of humans. It's not a building it's not an institution. It's not even a service. I'm going to church. How many times have we said that? I'm going to church? You can't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. Let's, I mean, I wish that we could just zap all of that going to church language or there is the church or my church exists on 111 East 87th Street. If we could just get rid of all of that from our vocabulary, it would really help because it, those terms just perpetuate the idea that church is an institution, or church is a real estate, or church is a service. You don't go to church. If you're going to church, you're missing the point. You are the church. You are the church. And so when we complain and we critique the church, we better be reflecting on ourselves as individuals and as a community. And that's what we want to do. If we're going to grow, we got to be reflective on ourselves. What is it that we as humans and as a community want to be together? And there is the key idea. This is together. We are in this together. And so when we're talking about the church, we're talking about ourselves. And, if, and, and by the way, if you confess faith in Jesus, this is just how it works. You become part of the church. Ideally, you become part of a, a local church community. You're certainly part of the global church. There is no precedent in the Bible for someone confessing faith in Jesus and then existing out all by themselves on their own. It just doesn't happen. When Jesus established the church, he established it for everyone who is going to be a follower of him. And so if you confess faith in Jesus, if you acknowledge that you are a follower of him, you do that in community. There is no uh, solo version of this. There's no lone ranger uh, of spirituality. It just doesn't li- uh, exist. And so that leads to the second response of this, why isn't the church better at perpetuating uh, these attributes of Romans chapter t- 12? And that is because we have a view of spirituality that is very private. And I would suggest to you that this is shaped by uh, Western individualism. 
So this might not apply to every church in every place on the planet, but here in our Western culture, we have a view of spirituality that is incredibly, incredibly private. We think that spirituality is something that happens when we're praying by ourselves or we're reading our Bible by ourselves and we're in the closet and the, the most spiritual people are the, the people who are best at doing those things, who pray for long periods of time in their wherever in their private spot or who are capable of spending long hours reading the Bible. We have a very, very uh, private and individualistic view of spirituality. And again, that just doesn't exist in the Bible. Sure, Jesus spent time praying alone, and there is need of alone time for holistic and spiritual growth. Absolutely. But the Bible's plan, the Bible's image of being a believer is always being a part of a community. And so this thing that's happened where we are individualistic in our spirituality just isn't biblical. I remember when 24-7 a religious TV started to come out. You remember this? I mean, we got, I mean every, if you're in a, a community of faith, you probably have your favorite 24-7 religious TV. In, in the Adventist tradition, we had 3ABN. Remember when 3ABN came out? 24-7 spiritual programming, and then the, uh, the institution of the church, there is an institution of, it's, the, it's Hope Channel. We have two global TV networks, 3ABN, but you know what happened when that, when, when those came in? I remember this distinctly. People started not meeting together, because they were like, first of all, they were like, well, I don't like my local people, which is basically what it, so I don't want to be with them. I'm going to go and watch 24-7 uh, TV, and so Sabbath comes, and you go, and you're on the, the TV, and you get all the great, greatest hits of all the greatest preachers. You're going to get the best sermons you've ever heard in your life by watching all those, because that's what they do. They, they program for this. So I remember this is, you know, back in the 80s when that was, people just stopped going and meeting together, because why? I'm going to get a better sermon on 3ABN or Hope Channel than you're going to maybe get from your local pastor. And so it just perpetuated this idea that spirituality is private and that you could be a spiritual person and sit in your recliner and watch religious programming all day. Hey, it's a challenge for us students, especially now, again, in this time in which we are separate from each other. Thankfully, thankfully, I would make the case that Zoom, although it's not quite the same as being a person, has allowed us to be together in community and engage with each other. I mean, we just had an interview with Sean and Edith, and they are, I don't know, 1,200 miles from New York City. I don't know how far the shadow of the, is that right, Sean and Edith? I don't, it's a long way away. And he was crossing an ocean, and yet we were together. <laughs> Somehow we were able to engage with each other. It's a little different than, than TV of old, but the point being is we are designed to exist in community and this western individualistic idea of personal spirituality where it's only you and your bible praying off somewhere it just is not a part of the biblical story that is not i mean paul the same paul in hebrews he says don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing even apparently even in paul's day there was the 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 tendency to go and do your spirituality on their own. And Paul was like, no, that is not Christian faith. Christian faith is designed to work in community together. We're told that the, new, the newborn believer, believers every day met together 
in the temple courts. That's in Acts chapter 2. They broke bread in their homes. They praised God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And they gathered together all of the time. Even Jesus, every Sabbath, went to meet in the synagogue. I mean, that was the, the synagogue was not just the religious place that you gathered to do. It was the social gathering of the community. And they met throughout the week. But on the Sabbath, Jesus was always going to find himself in community with other people searching and growing in faith in God. And so we got to get rid of this idea of individualistic spirituality. You are spiritual not only in times when you are alone with your Bible or praying, but as you exist in community, as you have fun in community, as you eat in community. So much about eating together in the Bible. That is the church community. I should also mention that the disease of legalism and moralism have also impacted this, uh, this inability to live up to the, the call of Romans chapter 12. You know, so many of our church communities are burdened with this idea that somehow we participate in earning our own rescue, our own salvation. And so uh, the, the idea that our performance contributes in some way to us uh, earning the ability to get out of the mess we're in now in the future. And let me tell you, legalism and moralism is incredibly detrimental on actually loving another person and certainly loving a community because when when you are focused on your own performance, uh, you're often falling short. And so when we fall short in our own performance, you know what we like to do to make ourselves feel better? We look at our brother or sister and say, you know, I'm not doing what I want to do, but <laughs> they're really not doing what they should do. And so we boost ourselves up by looking at others, and then this perpetuates an entire environment where we're judging not only ourselves, but everybody around us. And that is not a fun kind of community to be a part of. And so I do, that, it's a disease <laughs> where we feel like we have to perform to, 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 to earn ourselves. And that disease has incredibly negative impact on a church community. So we, we also have to recognize that we are in this together. Paul and Jesus call us to love each other, and that's not going to work if we're always judging ourselves and judging each other. By the way, we're going to, little advertisement, a couple advertisements, we're going to be talking about that very subject over the next six weeks in Faith Lab, which is starting this uh, afternoon. This, the, we're looking at the science of willpower and how it relates to being a disciple of Jesus. And this issue of moralism and legalism is, is rooted in that conversation. Okay, so finally, why are contemporary churches not more effective about living up to the principles that Paul outlines in Romans chapter 12? The church hasn't provided the means or method to actually live in this way. And by the church, I mean, again, not just an institution, but we as a group of people have not been as intentional maybe as we need to providing means and method to actually live in the way that Paul describes. We talk about a lot of things. We, we, we sermonize and we listen, and, but we don't actually implement this. There's not teaching and learning and practicing in an intentional way so that we can grow toward the kind of love that Paul is talking about. And listen, if you or me or any of us 
limit our spiritual intake in the week to a 90-minute worship gathering. And we love our worship gatherings here at Avon Hope. There is a lot of time and energy that goes into what happens here. But if this is it for you or this is it for me, we're not going to be very strong in our own growth of love for ourselves, <laughs> for our brothers and sisters in humanity, for God. I am in this, I just joined, I was forced to join, I'm going to be honest, a fitness group. Okay? And uh, it's the, it was, it's the, I know I've been, I've been talking about this a lot for the last two weeks, partially because I'm sore and I'm sad and I'm tired and I'm old. I'm getting increasingly old. Uh, but Michelle and Stephen and Nick made me join this group together. So we're, we're trying, we're trying to be models. We're trying to be not models like Edith and, and, uh, and Sean. I mean, we'll never live up to that, but I mean, we're trying to be models to the community by experiencing some transformation in our experience. And so we thought, you know, let's, let's get a little bit more healthy and fit. And it is incredibly annoying and I'm sore. Um, but here's the thing about a fitness group or fitness in general. You cannot do it once a week. You are not going to be fit. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to go out and run like once a week or something, and I'm just continually sore every time I go out because I'm not doing it enough to get to a point where there's actually growth happening, right? So the problem with fitness is you've got to do it all the time. With the Heart Association, 30 minutes a day. If you're not doing 30 minutes a day uh, of some kind of activity, you're, you're not going to be progressing and your health is going to deteriorate you get the point. The same is true of our growth. We're talking about holistic growth, our spiritual growth. If you're only pouring all your energy into a 90-minute Zoom service once a week, and you come and you listen, you're like, yes, right? That's that, that's that uh, 45-minute run on Sunday morning that only happens once a week. You're going to be sore. You might feel like good that you did it, because we like a little of that moralism, but you're not really going to experience the growth that you want to achieve. And so if we're going to grow together as a community, we have to be committed to letting God do what he wants to do in us all the time. And that means a daily rehearsal of expressing faith in Jesus, of, of, of being in community together, of, yes, engaging with the word and praying together. Paul said, be faithful in prayer. All of those are important elements, but if we're going to grow this has to be a thing that's happening, not just once a week. And so we as a church community, again, not the institution, but as a body, we have to work together to foster this kind of growth in our community. Now, I'm really excited about some of the ways that Avon Hope, as we've been talking together, is starting to work through toward this. Michelle last week gave a beautiful presentation on whole life. We had our orientation last night. We've got some classes going on, but this is going to involve all of us. There's so much more that we can do, so much more that we want to do if we're going to grow together. And so as a church community, we need to be intentional and the church needs to work toward this. We want to see transformation and growth happening in the life of our community and each of us as individuals. And that has not always been the main focus of what the church is about. So what are we going to do? How are we going to so many things that need to be adjusted and changed? How are we going to accomplish all this? Well, thank God, literally, that in Jesus, we have one who has embodied community to the fullest and who, fullest and who has accomplished all of this. You know, Jesus lived in radical community with others that promoted growth for, uh, at some level, 
him. <laughs> Jesus is human, so Jesus was learning and growing, and uh, if you can wrap your mind around that, and certainly for those around him, his disciples were learning and growing together. And so he lived in community with his brothers and sisters. He served them. He wept with them. All of the things that Paul talked about were things that Jesus had actually modeled. Jesus lived in community, and Jesus died in community. In fact, on the night before his death, he was there in the garden. You remember the story. Three of the, the, uh, the, the gospel writers write about it. He was there in the garden, and he went off to pray by himself, but he took three people with him because you, you, you do faith in community. All of his disciples were there, but then he invited three to go with him, and then he went it a little further, and he said, keep watch. Watch. Be here with me. <laughs> Look over me. The people are coming with evil intent, but I want you here with me. Even Jesus existed and lived and embodied community. He wasn't on his own. He was everywhere at funerals, at weddings. He spent the Sabbath in the synagogue together. Jesus existed in community, and he died in community. And because Jesus has done that and embodied perfectly what it means to uh, live in Christian community, we have the opportunity and advantage to, to be transformed by Jesus. By the way, even in the moments of, of most despair, Jesus was transforming community. If you remember at his death, this is, we hardly ever talk about this, but this is one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole Bible. In, at his death, when Jesus died, we're told in Matthew chapter 27, when he cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his breath. He breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, it was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split open, and the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to the many. Jesus was bringing about resurrection in communities even at his death. He dies, the tombs open up, and dead people come out of the tombs. All right? Now, I looked into this. We actually don't know what happened because it says they, the tombs are broken open, broke open when he died. He breathed his last. And the, but the people didn't go into the city. I don't know what they were doing hanging out at the tombs, but the idea is <laughs> Jesus brings life to community. And he invites us now to live in that same kind of resurrection life. If he can, by his own death, bring life from the tombs. By the way, can you imagine the testimony on that first resurrection Sabbath where now the dead people, they, they come up and share your testimony. What was your testimony this week? Oh, yes, I had this. Oh, what was your testimony? Oh, yeah, I was dead last week. And now I'm, and now I'm alive. I mean, that's quite a testimony on Sabbath, Shabbat morning in the synagogue. Apparently, that's what was happening. Jesus brings life to community. And so because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have the opportunity and ability to live in the kind of community that Paul is describing in Romans chapter 12, where we can be devoted to each other, joyful, patient, faithful in prayer, where we can learn to share our finances with those who are in need and we can practice hospitality, 
God can do this in us. It looks overwhelming. When I think about how are we going to come, become, how am I going to become a part of a Christian community like this, I can take heart because I'm not alone. Because of Jesus' work, we have power to do that which is beyond our own ability. And so as we express faith as individuals and as a community by singing and sharing and acknowledging that it's Jesus' work that gets the job done, God's Spirit can work in us and help us to become a community that is dedicated to experiencing whole life, life transformed and made alive by the dead and risen Savior Jesus. May He do this in our experience today. Amen.